this body cam video and separately this security video show some of the last few minutes of George Floyd's life. I can breathe. Please the name of it. Thousands of demonstrators taking to the streets, blocking intersections as police use tear gas to push back the crowds. Some people were seen throwing objects back at officers, vandalizing a police vehicle, and smashing the front window of a police precinct. If I'm not over here blowing up stuff, if I'm not over here messing up my community, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? Y'all doing nothing. Because that's not going to bring my brother back at all. What we're trying to do is stand up for the basic right of humanity. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do in a peaceful way. We do not want to go through this anymore. Okay? I want to be able to go in a white neighborhood and feel safe. I want to be able, when a cop is driving behind me, I don't have to clench and be tense. Okay? I want to be able just to be free and not have to think about every step I take. Because at the end of the day, being black is a crime. At the end of the day, being born black is a crime to them. And I don't understand why. Because we're all humans and that sickening welcome back to unanchored shahid and zam here and you probably know what you were listening to and and zam um we we took a week off of of putting out an, a, a show and an episode and um we wanted the focus to be on on what the focus should be on in in the world and and frankly um you know i i didn't know what to say and i probably still don't know what to say about all that's been going on and uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, everything after George Floyd's killing. Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough two weeks uh, for well, it's been a tough three months for for people all over this world, tough six months for people all over this world, but a, and a really and certainly tough, tough hundreds of years for for hundreds and hundreds for, of years for for lots of people, right? And, and mm-hmm, black people for sure in this and, moment is what we're focusing on. Exactly, and and this week and and over the last two weeks, we've been focusing on uh, the racial injustice and and the treatment of of police towards uh, African Americans, African Canadians, towards uh, Black people in general, and and primarily in North America and, and 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 Western Europe or all over the world, really. And it's been a moment that I I think that is kind of woken everyone up yeah yeah for sure and 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 last week we we decided not to publish an episode like we said we we kind of wanted to do our part in, in silencing what we were talking about and and letting the most important voices and messages um, get out there and and, and be heard um, but you know it's it's just not realistic for for everyone out there to just stay quiet and and frankly a lot of the conversations and 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 you know the people at the forefront of these conversations are saying it's not helpful either to to stay quiet that's what people have been doing people like us who you know aren't black people and and, and white people and and um, you know anyone who is not at the center of of being affected by this racism if you stay quiet you're not you're not helping. And, and in, in many ways, you, you might be hurting the cause to end racism and, and race, racial injustice. And so on this episode of Unanchored, what uh, we're not going to do is we're not we're not publishing an, an interview that we've pre-recorded. Um, we're we're going to focus on what's important to talk about um, now and and hopefully for 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 a long time to come, or maybe hopefully not for a long time to come. But we we do have uh, an important guest to talk to. His name is Donovan Bennett. He is a, a writer and a, um, a personality, a broadcaster at Sportsnet. And um, he is a, a black man. He is Canadian. And he has, in the, in the last several weeks, been very vocal about what's going on and um, you know, why, it, why it's important. And maybe more so what we can do about it in sports and outside of sports. Um, and he has talked about this previously, but he has certainly taken it uh, upon himself now to to amplify these these stories in his voice as as much as possible and his platform has grown as a result well uh being one of the few personalities being one of the few black personalities on sportsnet uh it it, it's really uh helped uh well his his platform has grown and he's able to 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 
get his work out, his, the stuff that he's written and some of it and his uh, stuff written about uh, racial issues, about black issues, uh, giving, giving them a place where, where they need to be heard and they need to be read. And, and as a sports journalist for himself, uh, he's really worked to put the onus on, on white athletes as well, that, that they are a catalyst and, and can be, uh, a catalyst for good in this situation. And, and we've seen a lot of, uh, white athletes especially from our perspective from what i've been reading in a lot of white hockey players have really come out and i think have done what uh have spoken out for the first time on these issues and and i guess i guess it's i'm proud to say that in my sport that that they're starting to wake up uh because i don't remember ever hearing uh white hockey players uh talk about racial issues ever before yeah, absolutely, and and um, we're going to talk to to Donovan about that, and 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 certainly his story, how how racism has affected his life, and and what he you know has done in the the recent weeks and months, and even prior to you know to keep that conversation at the forefront, and 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 he he really more than anything kind of helps us situate um, everything, and and really where we stand in this equation, what we can do moving forward, and. You know, for me, it was important for us, you know, after taking that pause to to come back and talk about this. And and I hope it's not the end for us. And, and I know no. it won't be. You know, this is the start of many conversations. And, and while we, we will bring you the conversations that we have pre-recorded with some some great guests about some other topics, this this conversation for us is, is not going to end. And and for me, that's because I in this time, I've noticed what a lot of people are calling blind spots. Right. I've noticed some um some racial and racist blind spots in my regular day-to-day behavior that you know I need to change and and I've noticed that I have a tendency of staying quiet as opposed to speaking up to support others and and over time as I've grown older and as I've become more comfortable in my own skin so to speak I've felt more comfortable you know defending others about uh, things that aren't necessarily directly r- related to my life, and um, you know, this whole this whole thing has made that even more clear to me that that I need to to do more of that. Oh, for sure. And what gave you more awareness of these protests? I, I, what what helped kind of bring that that uh, this to the forefront for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question, and you know, I think that uh, for a lot of us, that seeing that video was was quite was quite shocking and eye-opening and, and disgusting and angering and, and scary. And it, it really has this, you know, you, I had this visceral emotional reaction to it. And, uh, you know, that, you know, that's part of it. The protests that followed up um, certainly were a, a big part of it. it. I think it's everything together. I don't, I don't know if there's one thing and um, you know, I, I, and then watching the movie Just Mercy around the same time, I made the conscious decision to watch that movie based on a true story um, of a man named Brian Stevenson. He's a he's a lawyer who um, fought for um, you know the the lives of people on death row who were wrongly accused essentially and put on death row um, you know for things they didn't they didn't do and um, many if not all of them black people and. Um, but not all, certainly, um, actually, now that I think back to the movie, but many, of course. And mm-hmm. and I had actually for a couple of years avoided watching that movie, even though I knew it was going to be a good movie. Um, it had Jamie Foxx in it, who was always good. Michael B. Mm-hmm. Jordan, who has become one of my favorite actors. Um, you know, it was it, it was going to be a good movie. It was it was reviewed quite well. But I had avoided watching that movie because I thought it'd be too much of a downer. And And, and my my life at times feels tough and and I kind of want to watch things that um, will sometimes lift my mood um, and take away uh, the focus from you know my own struggles and I've I've at in the last couple of weeks I've felt so guilty about the the choice that I made about that movie and not educating myself just because it was going to be tough to watch and and I watched it and I'm so glad that I did and so like everything together 
you know, seeing that video, the protests and, and the outrage and, and a bit of that education with that movie and, and some other reading I've been doing, it, it really opened my eyes as to how important um, now is and, and how, you know, we as, as a collective, as, as a people, um, as humans, can't let this opportunity pass us by to, to, to get rid of this because it, it it's disgusting. What, and and I, know, I know for you, it, you know, sports has played a big part in opening your eyes. Oh, for sure. And and I was definitely aware of what happened to uh, George Floyd uh, and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I hate to say this, but sometimes, sometimes you get fatigued just reading the news. And what really started to, to, to kind of see that this is not going to be uh, 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 business as usual, as nothing is business as usual right now. Uh, but when I started to see uh, sports stars and specifically white hockey players, specifically Blake Wheeler of the Winnipeg Jets, Bo Horvat of the Vancouver Canucks captains, and Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks speaking up, uh, then it, it started to kind of break through uh, to being something else something more and and yes it's the fight uh for justice for george floyd but it's also the flight fight for racial justice for millions uh across north america and across the world um it's something that 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 is a, a catalyst of uh over 400 years of uh slavery of indentured servitude of of black people that uh that yeah, we 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 all need to be more aware of, and 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 all things that 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 need to be fought for on a daily basis, and and going into a U.S. presidential election this November, I think it, it is the best opportunity to be a catalyst for change. We've seen how things have happened uh, to go in the wrong direction over the last three and a half years uh, in the United States, and and things in Canada are not, never perfect as well, and. Um, I think bringing this to the forefront and bringing these conversations, these tough conversations that we are now having with our friends and our family, uh, it, 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 it's a good thing. And, and, uh, it, it's tough when you lose, lose someone and it's, it's so tough, but, uh, it's an opportunity for us to have these conversations and, and make a real change in, in our world. For sure. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I was saying earlier that, um, you know, I'm, I'm maybe as, as much a part of the problem as, as I am, um, you know, a part of the solution. And yes, I'm a person of color. Yes, uh, I'm minority. And yes, I've faced racism. But n- now during this time, it has become so aware to me that I just can't relate, uh, mm-hmm. despite all that to, to what you know, black people in America and Canada and around the world have have gone through and continue to go through. And I'll give you an example of of why, um, if it's not already you know quite apparent. But I, I made a short film recently uh, last year. I wrote, directed, produced it, and um, prior to releasing it, and it's still not out in the world, but even just making it public, you know, I, I was questioning whether it's the best idea. Uh, you know, speaking out about my Muslimness and then putting a film with my name on it about my my Muslimness, I was fearing for my safety. I've heard so many stories of Muslims in Canada, Muslims in the States and around the world being attacked physically um, and attacked online, um, you know, by bullies and, and racists and, and bigots. And, um, you know, I feared for my own safety. I feared for my children's safety in the future. Um, but in, in in seeing all this, and and even then, I knew that as a last resort, I can either not put that out, I can choose to not identify as a Muslim, change my religion. I have a choice, but mm-hmm. so many people out there don't have the choice to change their skin color, and nor should they have to make that decision if they did have that choice. Something that they were born with, something that they were born as, is the reason that they are being, forget discriminated against, but killed and um, that, you know, just that juxtaposition further helped me understand that I, I can't relate and, and I need to do more to 
to relate. Um, yeah, I picked up a book recently. Um, a lot of recommended books out there. If anyone on social media it has seen a bunch of recommended books and I've started to read a couple and one of them is called So You Want to Talk About Race. It's by uh, Ijeoma Olu and uh, I probably butchered that. But hey, part of the problem, right? Anyways, um, it's it's a, a story of, of you know one person, uh, her life um, as, a, as a black American woman and... Um, but with some some historical context uh, about racism. And, you know, there was a, a passage that stood out to me that um, also really helped me kind of understand how, one, I can relate, but I can't. And I'm just going to read a bit of it. Often being a person of color in a white dominated society is like being in abusive relationship with the world. Every day it's a new little hurt, a new little dehumanization, and we walk around flinching, still in pain from the last hurt and dreading the next. But when we say this is hurting us, a spotlight is shown on the freshest hurt, the bruise that's forming. And look at how small it is. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. Why are you making such a big deal about it? Everyone gets hurt from time to time, but the world ignores the rest of our bodies, which are covered in scars. And, um, you know, I, I often feel that way with my mental health that, um, you know, somebody says some one thing and it, and it hurts, but it's because of all the other hurt that I've been dealing on, those little cuts, those little punches, those little scars that when they all pile up, it's not just one little thing, it's everything all together. Yet, I can't relate because I can take care of my mental health. There are ways out of, you know, mental illness, uh, albeit how difficult they are, there are ways out. Um, and, and, and just racism is a whole different ballgame. And it, it's all really become really clear to me in the last uh, month or so. Oh, for sure. And, and uh, other media to consume right now. And, and if you haven't seen it, Hassan Minhaj or Hassan Minhaj on, uh, from uh, the Patriot Act on Netflix uh, on no longer staying silent. That's, that's a really good watch as well as Neil Brennan, who is a comedian as well. And he is the 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 co uh, creator of the Chappelle Show on uh, those saying on uh, to those position to those in positions of power, i.e., bosses, hiring managers, to hire black people and increase the, the diversity of stories and experiences in your offices and companies. Also, hire black people and 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 people of visible minorities to uh, also into management positions and and. Uh, how important it is to increase and give those people power and give those people good paying jobs so they can then send their kids to good schools and, and we can break this this cycle, this continually perpetuating cycle of uh, uh, the inability for so many people, of uh, so many black people uh, who uh, have, have lacked in, in generational wealth for, hun- for hundreds of years. Absolutely. Lots of good resources out there. And we'll link to a couple on our website, uh, unanchoredpodcast.ca. Um, and happy to have, have your listeners share some more with us. But um, let's get yeah, to our guest. I was going to say, feel free to share links with us through our social media sites. Uh, and, unanchor, and unanchoredpodcast.ca is our website link. Uh, already know that, but uh, definitely through Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah, that's, that, that'd be helpful for sure. So let's get to our guest, Donovan. And, and we we found it important to have him on because like we've been talking about, we just can't, we can't do a good job at addressing this topic because we're not at the, at the heart of it. But he he has, you know, some, some real life experience. He has lived it from as far back as he can remember, as you'll hear in our chat. And so... Um, you know, I think, you know, for us, it was, it was really important to, to, to address this topic today in this episode, um, and, and continue to address it. Um, and you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the chat with Donovan. Oh, for sure. He, he, uh, is really articulate and, and really speaks with passion and obviously, uh, speaks from experience and from the heart. And, and it was a pleasure to, to have this chat with him and under other circumstances, we would have talked sports with him. We did a little bit, but not in the context that we normally talk sports with, uh, with some of our guests, but, uh, it was a really, um, good chat and, and really important chat for us to have. Okay. So let's get right into it. Donovan Bennett is a journalist, writer, and podcast host for Sportsnet. He co-hosts the podcast Sports on Pause, which explores how COVID-19 has been impacting the sports world. 
But over the last week or two, or the last few weeks, or a month even, for Donovan, sports have been on pause. At least they've taken a back seat. He has lent his voice, his profile, and his passion, his entire being really, to speaking out against racism towards black people in the U.S., Canada, and around the world. The heinous killing of George Floyd, a defenseless and seemingly harmless black man in police custody in Minnesota, sparked worldwide outrage and brought the topic of systemic racism in the United States to the absolute forefront. It has uncovered once again the ugliest parts of society, and as a result, protests broke out in all 50 states and other countries, all with the hopes of sparking real long-lasting change towards a time when these types of killings, when a man or woman is not only treated differently, but killed due to the color of their skin, a time when those things don't happen anymore. And if and when we do get to that point, part of the reason will be people like Donovan Bennett. Being a black man who has dealt with racism in one way or another throughout his life, Donovan has been speaking loudly online and everywhere else about his experience, racism in Canada, and the role sports and specifically white athletes can and should play to help fight the fight. So as you can imagine, we are quite honored to have him join us on Unanchored. So Donovan, first of all, thanks for joining us. I know you've been busy talking about what's going on on your network and in other publications, and I'm, I'm sure with your friends and family, and you had a birthday recently, so happy birthday. And um, on top of that, you have a young family to focus on. So again, we appreciate you making the time for us. How are you doing these days? Good. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I, I feel like whenever you answer that, like, we're all grading on a curve in terms of how we're doing, because... I don't know how good you can be all of the time when you're living in a literal history lesson as we are on multiple fronts. We're living in the midst of a global pandemic. We're living with record unemployment in a virtual recession. Oh, and just like I'll have a side of race revolution as well uh, at, at the time. So considering all of that and considering all that's going on, um, I do feel very blessed, very blessed to have my health healthily in the health of my family, uh, have the support of my family, which certainly helps my mental health and um, blessed that I have gainful employment to wade through these, you know, uncharted waters, but also to give me an outlet of something to focus on, but an, an outlet that I'm passionate about um, to, to speak to some of these issues. And that's what I've been able to do. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you on a lot of that. And we all can relate on a lot of what we're living through, through the you know coronavirus and and also just, you know, the, the heaviness of what is um, in the public sphere these days. Um, I know we can also relate. You've got a, a young one at home. And, and so that that keeps you, you focused when when maybe your mind can, can wander sometimes, too. But uh, under normal circumstances, we would have likely had you on as a guest to talk about sports and, and your journey to making it to TV, hosting a podcast, playing university football so on and so forth, parenting, uh, for me at least. Uh, the three of us actually have a lot in common in that respect, and, and we may have even touched on discrimination and, and racism during your rise to, to where you are. Uh, and many people prior to the last couple of weeks, including myself, may have probably ignorantly said that uh, we too have experienced racism growing up in Canada. But certainly now that, that becomes even a, more of a divide, I think. And um, many of us have been reminded recently, uh, and so tragically, that it's just not true. We, we can't relate. And, and for me, the big difference between you and I becomes apparent, uh, if not simply by the color of our skin, but by this story. And I wanted to share this as we as we start. The other day I was driving, had my phone in my hand at a red light and my water bottle in my hand. And then I saw a cop across the street. And in an instant, um, I dropped them both, put my hands on the wheel to show where there was nothing in them. I was scared that I was, I was going to get a ticket. You recently wrote a very in-depth article, which we'll get to in a bit, and you referenced a talk you had with your dad about keeping your hands at 10 and 2. Can you tell us a little about that chat and, and the importance and impact of that conversation on you? Yeah, so that chat probably would have been when I was 15 or 16, right? Like just starting to think about driving, getting your learner's permit, you know, doing the young driving school lessons where they teach you literally to have your hands at 10 and 2 at all times. Um, you know, check your blind spot, all that stuff. Um and so that, that talk was not in reference to uh, smartphones because they didn't exist at the time, right? I was probably dealing with a Motorola Razor and a pager at that point in my life. Um, but it more so was about being smart. And it, it, it was a bigger conversation. It wasn't just driving. It wasn't just interaction with law enforcement and the police. But it was 
you know, an overarching conversation that was not just one time that was continual about the fact that like you have to understand and appreciate the fact that you're different. Thus, your actions and your movements have to be different and you can't afford to be caught into some situations or even have some of the same behaviors of many of your white friends because you're going to be treated differently. And so that went to things like work ethic, that went to things like, you know, moral compass you have in terms of how you do your work and the papers that you hand in. Um, And that, that also was a conversation that let me know in no uncertain terms that he was able to navigate all these things as a black man in Canada, his, his, you know, siblings had his, his, um, you know, family had. And so that I was armed with information based off his experience to do the same. There's no excuse as to why I I shouldn't. Um, But at the same time that everything you do, you're going to have to make sure um, that you're very, very careful. And, and, and the most, I guess, egregious example of how you have to be careful is in your experience with the police, but even things like my appearance, I I literally can hear the voice in my head and and people often, now that I'm on TV a little bit more and I'm more of a visible presence, people often talk about, Oh man, you really dress really well. You have good style. And that's a real nice compliment. And if you look at people in my family, they're all, um, you know, saying they're pretty stylish sounds like just a thing to say but uh they all take pride in their appearance and that's the exact phrase my dad would always say take pride in your appearance when you leave this house make sure that you're put together you look good and it was not because he wanted me to be on the cover of gq when i was older because he knew that immediately when i was seen i would be judged by how i look and my appearance was going to say things to people before i ever said anything with my mouth and so that's something that I, I still hold with me um, to this day. I'll, I'll even share a story with you in real time. Full disclosure for people who are just listening to this. I had to break away to, just before we started recording this um, to do something quickly. I had to take a couple photos. And the photos I was taking was of some clothing for a wardrobe uh, choice that I have for this special that's coming up on um, City TV and Sportsnet simulcast, a special about race. Um, so they, this may have already happened, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, but I'm like double and triple checking my wardrobe choices with our stylist because I know that I don't want to look too casual, that like I don't take the topic serious. I'm, I, I don't want to look too young because I am relatively young given the, the type of people we're going to be having on to have this conversation. So the stylist who is white, who might want me to seem comfortable and casual and might put me in a polo, I might push back and say, well, I need to be in a button up. And if not a tie, it has to be a serious blazer. These are things that I still think about now. Um, and so certainly... Um, when we had that talk, it wasn't just about how you interact with police. It was about how you interact with everybody on, on every level. I'll, I'll leave you, leave you um, one last story because I don't want to just filibuster the entire podcast uh, after your first question. Um, <laughs> so we have, I mentioned the, the wardrobe. We have a, a wardrobe room at Sportsnet where all the talent, all their clothes is there. It's kind of laundered for them, taken care of, you know, looks are pulled for them and whatnot. So, um, you know, comfort is king. So when I go to work, I know I've got my on-air clothes there. So I'll go to work wearing a hoodie, sweatshirt, right? I'd, I'd live in a hoodie and a, and, a, and a sweatpants and running shoes if I could. And I'll do, let's say I'm doing a show like Tim and Zid or whatever I'm doing. I'll, I'll leave my clothes there, my, my work clothes, go on something super comfortable. Uh, and on the way home, I'll, I'll, I won't change before I, I shoot or after I shoot stuff. I'll just leave in those on air clothes, quote unquote, and go straight home and then just bring them back in the morning. So on my route to work via the subway is a, a mall, a major mall in Canada, the Eaton Center. So I have to do any shopping. Sometimes I'll do it on the way to work. Sometimes I'll do it on the way home, depending on how much time I have. When I go to the mall, if I go before work, so to just as a reminder, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, probably I'm wearing some sweatpants, running shoes, probably have my hood up because the head needs a garage 
Why, why have a hoodie if you're not going to have the hood up? Um, the treatment I get in those stores in the mall is extremely different than if I go after work where I'm wearing my suit, where I'm wearing a tie, where I'm wearing dress shoes. So even though I'm, I'm not going to run out of the mall stealing anything, I do realize that people are kind of asking me a little bit more aggressively if they could help me with anything, that they're pretending to be fixing some things on the shelves as they kind of gaze over to see, like, what are you doing in this store? But when I show up afterwards with a suit on, they greet me with a smile, tell me their name, listen, if there's anything you need, I can pull something for you. The experience is entirely different. And so I always know that um, in even small interactions like that, Martin Luther King is dream is not yet realized where I would be judged by the content of the character, not the color of my skin. I mean, you haven't even been able to judge the content of the character yet because I haven't said anything, but I know I'm always being judged. And, and that's a talk that I had with my dad. It sticks with me to this day. And at some point, um, you know, not yet, because 13 months is probably a little bit too early to have that talk. Like it might be a little heavy. I, the response I might get is, give me more cheese. Like that's basically the rational thoughts that my son is having at this point. Um, and, and I'm certainly not having that talk in this year or maybe the next couple of years, but at some point, um, you know, God willing, I'm, I'm going to have to have that talk. And so um, it, it probably, even though it will be, let's say 20 years, 30 years, maybe removed from when my dad had it with me. The talk's probably going to sound the exact same. It's going to be verbatim. You could take the transcript. I could just outsource it and have my dad give it to him. And I think that's kind of sad that the exact same talk my dad had with me, I'm going to have with my son. Like, I think that's actually the opposite of progress. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that uh, context because it, it, it does really, you know, situate this conversation in, 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 you know, your life. So I appreciate you sharing that in depth. And well, and we're talking a lot about uh, racial violence, and and uh, we'll get into the, the the aspect of police brutality as as what we've been seeing here. And the names here are important, and some of them are are Ahmad Arbery, Breonna, Breonna Taylor, Manuel Ellis, just to name a few uh, victims of racial violence, including police brutality. And George Floyd joins the ever growing list. Do you have an idea as to why this was the catalyst for national and even international protests against police brutality and racial injustice? Because uh, this short list is by no means exhaustive and it uh, sadly goes on and on. Yeah. And I mean, I'd love to add some names to that list. Uh, you know, Andrew Loku, uh, Jermaine Garby, uh, DeAndre Campbell. Uh, those are Canadian names. Those are names that happen in you know the country that I love, the country that often thinks that it is post-racial, uh, which is impossible and factually incorrect. Um, but in terms of why now, uh, to answer your question, because um, I'm not good at, at answering questions, I just go on tangents. <laughs> I um, I don't know, I don't know, and I I've been a bit conflicted about that because here's my perspective. And I would love to hear what, what you guys think. Here's some of the theories that I've heard in terms of why now. Oh, well, hey, we're in a pandemic. Uh, people are quarantining, shelter in place. We're at home thinking about these things. We're getting on Zoom calls and Google Hangouts and having these conversations. And so maybe without sports, without movies being made, and us going to theaters, going to plays, with so many of our normal distractions gone, we actually have time to focus. So that, that's one theory. And to me, I say, cool. Um, you mentioned Breonna Taylor. So for context, is a Louisville woman who uh, was senselessly murdered in her home when the police had a no-knock warrant for a drug raid and they basically broke down the door. And her partner thought he was being robbed and I probably would too yeah. and went to get out his uh, firearm, which was legal. Police saw the firearm and started shooting. She died basically while asleep. So why didn't we have an outrage for Donna Taylor? I mean, 
that happened during the pandemic. Okay, well, the next thing is, well, there's no video of that. You see the video of George Floyd in his last minutes of his life, the, the, the last words that he says, him screaming for him, his mother who has already passed. Maybe that's why, because the video is the differentiator in this case. Well, I mean, we had the video for Ahmaud Arbery, who I know didn't technically die during the pandemic, but the video was released during the pandemic about two and a half weeks ago or so. So why didn't we have the outrage then? I mean, like people ran for Ahmaud Arbery and said, I'm running for him because he died while jogging. Um, and for people who don't know the context of that, was was jogging in his neighborhood in Georgia. Um, he fit the description, conveniently, of someone who may have been doing some uh, burglaries in the neighborhood. This was on a Sunday, midday. I, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a uh, criminal. I've, I've never robbed a home, but I would assume ideal time in the deep South wouldn't be like church Sunday at one o'clock. But anyways, uh, he was, he was chased while he was running, uh, hunted down, cornered and, um, and gunned down by not police, by two kind of neighborhood watch vigilantes, uh, a father and son tandem. So why didn't we have the outrage then? We saw that video, but uh, he was literally hunted and, and, and killed. Like he was a, an animal in a forest. Why didn't we have the outreach then? I'm not sure why it's different now. And it almost annoys me that it's not different, that it's becoming this like trending hashtag. So basically people are getting likes and retweets off of trauma. Like that's not necessarily a trend you want to jump on the back of. And it kind of makes me say, well, thanks for the note, Lego, that your pieces aren't racist. Good to know. Where were you a week ago, a month ago, years ago? I'm sure Trayvon Martin played with some Lego. We could have heard from you at that point. So I'm, I'm not sure why it's different, but I, I've tried to as best I can. Obviously not very well because I'm still answering this question. I've tried to focus on, well, forget about the why. Like the, the why really is inconsequential, but we're here now and we're talking about it and it's on the news and it's a piece of conversation, not just about police brutality or defunding police people are having real honest conversations about what their workforces look like what their boards look like what their unconscious bias looks like that's good like that's productive and so although i'm cynical at best as to why some people are talking now just the fact that they are talking gives me some hope yeah absolutely and that cynicism is 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 you know partly what's going to fuel you kind of being one of those people that keeps the conversation at the forefront and always reminds us moving forward from this day that, hey, this is not over. We're, we still need to talk about it. And and that's obviously a, you know, a heavy burden to carry, but I'm sure partly one that you've been carrying for a long time. And, 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 and that's what kind of what I want to get into now. We've re- referenced this article a, a few times and our listeners may have already read it. But in, in case they haven't, you work as a sports broadcaster. And, and, and so what you wrote was with a sports lens. You're, you're saying it's about time uh, white athletes step up and use their power and influence to help fight this fight. And and you've been, as far as I can tell, outspoken about this topic and, and race and, and racism before. One example is you know sharing your story as a part of Hockey Night in Canada's Black History Month in a video. Uh, but right now, during this time, it's different. And over the last few weeks and few months and, and recently climaxing with George Floyd's killing, was it ever a question that you were going to use your voice like you are now and 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 how did how did this come about for you yeah good question um it was a question i to be honest so i wrote about uh ahmaud arbery and in fact i kind of wrote the opposite piece about how important even just as a symbol that tom brady signed the letter um written by the players coalition uh that they wanted justice in the ahmaud arbery case and and for those who, who don't know uh I mean, you know who Tom Brady is. He's a quarterback and he's white. Uh, but a, the Players Coalition is a group of NFL players that worked with the league and owners on specific causes that they feel need some light and some resources. It's in the wake of uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling. The NFL wanted to you know, meet the players halfway. And so this was something put together for tangible action. Almost all the signatures on what they do 
virtually are, are black. And Tom Brady, for the first time, put his name on something. And, and I thought that was an important step. And so I had written about that not too long ago. And, and then this, you know, murder comes up. And there really it wasn't a direct sports tie other than the fact that he was great friends with Steven Jackson. And that's something that was widely reported already. And again, I told you I was in this cynical space. And I also, because I was so cynical in terms of other people's motivations, I didn't want to you know, profit off this death. I didn't want to write about it just because it was trending and it was going to get link clicks. I wanted to be um, intentional in all the work that I do. And I also knew that, um, you know, sometimes you just need to take a step back and let other people do the, the report to not cloud the message. So I wasn't going to write on it. And I, there is a, a burden is the word that you used and I'll use it again. Um, for you know, people of color in newsrooms, for, for black journalists, and here's why. Uh, and, and I've certainly used my race to my benefit, right? I mean, it's been used to my and other people like me's detriment for hundreds of years. So the least I can do is, is use it when I can. And one of the tangible benefits uh, or intangible things about me that I can use is my experience with race. And so I've used it as you mentioned to tell Black History Month stories and differentiate myself from my colleagues to get you know some traction early in my career, but at some point you kind of become pigeonholed and you become you know the black writer or the black broadcaster, and your beat no longer is basketball or football, it's black. And so I remember in the wake of Colin Kaepernick, 2016, 2017, he was you know certainly as that story changed him or anthem protests were in the news all the time. And I was continuing to write these stories because I thought they were important. I had opinions on them, but it just became tiring. I was the only one really writing about them. I was the only one pitching them. And I knew uh, I would write them. And I knew that as soon as they went live, I was going to be flooded with some racially insensitive, if not just outright racist messages on Twitter. And I don't know about you guys, but when I wake up in the morning and go to work, I'm not like, all right, let's go race baiting tweets, bring them on. Like you just don't want to look forward to that. So I, I, that dynamic in general was somewhat exhausting and challenging because I knew that these were important stories to tell. And there was a segment of the audience that was trusting me and counting on me to tell them. But I also knew that it really wasn't benefiting me personally to tell them. And this George Floyd situation came up about and I was going to I was going to sit it out to be quite honest. I was quite happy to just consume and not contribute. And I was explaining that dynamic um on a um Zoom call with a bunch of other black uh Canadian media members that we kind of all are on a Instagram chat group together. Kayla Gray of uh, TSN um, spearheaded it, and, and it was just as an, a way to support each other, share best practices, ideas, um, you know, mobilize. And on this this Zoom chat, I was explaining that sentiment, and some people got it. And Morgan Camel, to his credit, who, who's a great writer for himself, who had his own column in the Star for a while, is now working on some book projects. Said, "No, forget that. You you have to write." He didn't say you have to write a George Floyd story, but he said you have to write these stories in general. He said, people want these stories for whatever reason. Some people are finding them, you know, desirable right now. We don't know how long that's going to last. There are page views in those stories. And if someone is going to get the benefit of writing them, it should be you. It should be us. So don't feel like you have to sit it out. Don't feel bad about it. Write the stories. And that was kind of took it to heart. It was like, okay, yeah. And when I started to reflect more on the George Floyd situation and who was speaking up about it, but more importantly, who was not speaking up about it, I found that to be problematic. And, and that was the genesis of the story because I didn't really know any other way to help, right? I think we're all right now feeling a little bit helpless, right? Whether it's in the pandemic or just in this scenario. We, we want to help. I think that's why we've seen the numbers at protests be so massive despite the health risks. 
is because people want to be able to do something. I've got so many texts from people saying, what can I do? What should I read? How can I be an ally? And for me personally, I'm not very rich. I'm not very compelling. I don't have a lot of power, right? There are, there are only so many ways I can help move the needle on this conversation. And one of the ways is I do have a platform. I do have an employer that has not muzzled me. And so I figured that's the way I can help is I can shine some light on the conversation, but also really the whole goal was for that to be a starter, for that to be an appetizer and a moose-bouche, for that to start conversation. And then the real work, the the main event, the, the main course was what people did after that, the conversations that they had, what that, that meant to them in their mind and heart. And so um, luckily it was relatively well received in that I've heard from people. It did just that. It started conversations. For sure. And you mentioned your employer there. And I'm curious what the conversations with your employer have been like during this time. We've heard John Boyega, who's a, a black British actor who starred in Star Wars and it made an impassioned speech in London. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, uh, that the speech may cost him his career and he didn't care. And LeBron James is on the offensive and doesn't seem like he intends to back down at, at any moment. And he can, because with that level of celebrity and financial stability, like you were talking about, uh, maybe not having, um, I'm assuming that's true. It, it would it would only be human to have reservations before speaking out. Did did you have those reservations? You've kind of you've kind of touched on that. So then, how how has your employer enabled you, or, or did they need to? Is it is it simply just kind of not muzzling you that that all that's all that needs to happen, or because they do need to play a part in in this conversation now and then keeping it at the forefront, and not letting it fade away. Yeah, I mean they certainly haven't muzzled me. Um, it's not like I've been outright assigned to talk about this issue or issues like it. Specifically, most of it has been uh, pitch driven, you know, coming from me. Um, and so, I mean, to be honest, I, uh, and people can judge for themselves if this is the ultimate sign of support or the ultimate sign of non-support. Um, I don't feel any type of way about it. But they really haven't treated it any different than any other story I pitch or idea I have or thing I cover. So the conversations um, and the email exchanges about pieces in terms of race have been almost the exact same as they have about pieces in terms of the Raptors. Like there just hasn't been that much of a difference. Maybe I'm just naive and there's some things at play um, that I haven't noticed, but um, yeah, I haven't felt, uh, I haven't felt certainly pressure to produce these stories or any sort of backlash when I do produce them. Now, the three of us are, are sports guys. And uh, I think the thing that started to get through to me was when I started to see pro athletes speak up. And this is when I realized that this wasn't going to be the same old story uh, Blake Wheeler, Evander Kane, as we've mentioned from your story from sportsnet.ca. And now we're starting to see new initiatives from players. Uh, on Thursday, Tyler Sagan from the Dallas Stars not only wrote and tweeted about supporting the cause of racial justice, but also posted on Instagram that he and uh, Marty Turco, former Stars goalie, uh, marched with protesters in Dallas and several NHLers and former NHLers. Uh, headlined by uh, Evander Kane and Akeem Alou, have now created the Hockey Diversity Alliance. How impactful are athletes' voices in breaking through that noise? And uh, how can they help move the cause for, forward beyond yesterday, today, and tomorrow? And specifically, uh, that allyship from white athletes like uh, Blake Wheeler and, and Tyler Sagan. Yeah, well, I, I think what changed is that white athletes realize and just i think white people in general realize that inaction is an action right you can passively be the problem and i think people often feel somewhat defensive that well i'm i'm not i'm not racist i had three black people over at my house last week sure but 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 what are you doing every day to help those three black people what are you doing to even understand their lives be in their shoes. And so I, I think that's what some of the athletes who have come out um, have have said and have felt genuinely. I do feel like some of the athletes who have come out 
are just trying to win the PR Olympics and put out a statement and basically holding up their hand and be like, I, I think uh, equality is good just so it's on the record. And it's like, well, thanks, tips. Like, that should be the default. Um, but but I do think that, that they do understand. And you mentioned that alliance of of players for equality and diversity. It's it's great, and all those guys are leaders in their own right. And I, I you know, retweeted the tweet just with the words game changers because I truly feel that's what they have been and, and are going to continue to be. But I'd love for the next evolution of that alliance to have – some white names on it like Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid should care about the inclusion and diversity of their sport as much as Joel Ward and Wayne Simmons and Akeem Alou. And so I, that's, I think the next piece is not just vocally saying that you care. Well, show me that you care, right? Really, really do the, some of the hard work to make your sport more inclusive because here's the thing that I don't think people realize. And a lot of the conversations are rooted in morality and that's really good. And that's important. But for the NHL specifically or any fortune 500 company, let's just take morality off the table, root the decision in money. We know that fortune 500 companies perform better when they have a diverse workforce. And and that's not diversity in terms of skin color, it's diversity of experience, diversity of opinion. And so the very same token the NHL, if it is more inclusive, the sport of hockey, if it is more inclusive, they benefit from that. And so when we're looking at uh, demographics in both the United States and camera, the United States and Canada uh, that are rapidly changing, when you're looking at the tanning literally of the country where the white majority very soon, if not already, will be in the minority, it behooves you to open up your sport to people who traditionally haven't felt it spoke to them because they're going to be your future customers. They're going to be your future advertisers. And if you're smart, they're going to be your future players. They're going to be part of that employment force. And so I I would love if people just did all of these things because it was the right thing to do. But we know in light that that's not always the case. People need other things to motivate them. Well, okay, fine. It, just being a capitalist, it would make sense for you to open up the tent to more people. And, and for that to happen, it can't just be the black players opening up the tent. We have to open up much wider. And that means everyone needs to be on board. Well, I know uh, one of my friends who's written for the New York Times, Salim Valji, he, he has uh, approached the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Edmonton Oilers about getting Sidney Crosby and uh, Connor McDavid to talk about racial issues before uh, this all became uh, this all came out with with George Floyd and and both teams have refused based off of why do we need to talk about this but hopefully as a result of of this we're going to start to hear more from players like Crosby and McDavid and uh, we're all Canadians here and we hear from time to time from friends, colleagues and others that racism doesn't exist in Canada. And for the longest time, if you'd asked me, I might've agreed growing up mostly in predominantly white neighborhoods and mostly having friends that were either white or South Asian like myself. I don't think I had noticeably felt racism in my life until I moved to Montreal just a few years ago after living in BC and Toronto my whole life. But discrimination against me has only affected my ability to find work, never fearing for my life. So there's no way we can really understand. But with that in mind, what can other people of color do as allies? What helps? What doesn't help? What can white people do? We're hearing from from athletes now, and is there there like we're starting? I'm starting to have conversations with my friends for the first time about race, and it, it in a way it's a little it's refreshing that we can have these conversations, but uh, it it's something that over 34 years that I've never had before. So what helps and what doesn't help? Yeah. So uh, good question. I think just asking the question, right. Uh, that shows that you're, you know, in the right position, your heart's in the right place. Um, you're primed and ready is in the sports term in an athletic position. You're ready to kind of do what's needed. And, and that's the first step is, is wanting to know. I, and, and I, I'm not a you know a researcher, so I haven't studied it, so, so I don't have the most academic answer. I can just tell you my experience in that I try as best I can 
to be an ally to, to females, to uh, be an advocate for women. Um, you know, I, I suppose I, I try to be a male feminist. And so, well, how, how can I do that? I, I don't have the lived experience of what it's like to be a woman and, and walk in the shoes. If I had to walk in heels, it would not be a pretty sight. I, I have no idea what it's like to be catcalled, to, to have to think about, you know, how you're being viewed, to, if people are over-sexualizing you. No relation to any of that. That is a privilege that I have that I don't think about it. And when I go to the gym, I don't think about what I'm wearing and, and how I'm appearing. That's That's certainly a privilege. And so even though I don't understand it and I have privilege, I also can be an ally. I also can say, okay, well, there's, there's females in my workforce. How can I help them? How can I support them? I know they're not getting a fair opportunity at all times in our society. How can I illuminate their work? Let them know uh, what they're doing is good. Shine a light on them. Give them some opportunities that they may not have or, or tell them about some things that they could do that they may not even consider. At, at the same time, uh, I understand that I have blind spots. There are going to be things that I'm not aware of, how they might be perceived, how I, how I even say things. So consciously thinking about them, thinking about the interactions, making sure that I'm cognizant of it, it's on the forefront of my mind to, to make sure I'm, I'm in the right place. And then constantly checking in on myself, right? Talking to my wife, talking to uh, females that I trust to make sure I'm... I'm looking at a situation with the right lens or viewpoint. And then with my work, how can I tell female stories? How can I tell stories about women so that they're getting closer to equal coverage because the coverage is not close to 50-50? Those are all things that I can do, even though I'm not a female, even though I'll never know what it's like to be a female. And so there's some modality in that. And if I lily pad from trying to be an advocate for females, I can do all of the very same things for the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, and, and that's something that I've tried to do. I, I think we should remember that, you know, June is also Pride Month. So we can concentrate on more than one important issue at a time. I'd hate for all of the initiatives uh, that, that come with Pride to be drowned out as we're having this real important conversation. And often marginalized groups Although they have different realities, there are some unique through lines and some of the things that they struggle with. And so there's some shared empathy and support there. Uh, and, and so I've tried to do that. If I'm being honest, I probably haven't done enough to be an ally of people with disabilities, mental health disabilities, physical uh, disabilities, cognitive disabilities. And so um, I could do more in that space. And, and that could be something that's, you know, an Achilles heel for me right now. But as I work on it over years, it can become a strength. So if we just take that concept and apply it to, to racism, that's, that's no different. And even me, I have blind spots when it comes to race and, and, and religion. Can I support my Muslim brothers and sisters in a better way? Can I have more shared understanding? There's lots of, you know, hate crimes that are going on towards people of Asian descent and they're being wrongly at times blamed for the coronavirus. Can I be more supportive in that sense? I, I'm not without fault when it comes to race either. And, and so I, I think that's how I've tried to be an ally. And I actually don't even really like the word ally. I prefer the word partner. Mm -hmm. I think of allies as like United Nations. Hey, listen, sign this bill. And when you need me, you got my signature. I got your back. Right. Like we, we both are kind of trading on some currency. Like, I, no, I, I want a partner. Right. As we think about partners and relationships mm -hmm. or teammates in sports, I want someone who's rolling up their sleeves with me. They're in the fight. They not they might not be as impacted every day, but in the macro, they're impacted because they really care. And so they're just as passionate and their voice is just as loud. I want I want a partner in this fight. And I think we're getting much, much closer to that point. Well, we, we we really appreciate you spending so much time with us uh, this morning as we're recording it. And, and so what I wanted to wrap up with you know, one more question and, and it's simply, you know, what, what now there's an article out there written by Barack Obama talking about turning these protests into sustained activism and, and action. And, and part of that is a strong focus on voting. And, and that's certainly a way to make change. But um, you know, what is, 
what does the future look like for you? And and what do you want others to do today and tomorrow? You talked about that partnership. You know, a lot of people talk about uh, cor- the coronavirus and this pandemic being a point at which we'll, we'll look back on and, and say, hey, nothing was ever the same after that. A lot of people are saying that this is the same for, you know, for racism um, in, in North America and in the world, that this point is kind of a turning point. Do you see it that way? And, and how do we, um, and, and how do you see yourself moving forward from this? Has, has life changed for you and it's not kind of turning back in your mind? Uh, I mean, it, it's changed for me just in the sense that, uh, you know, my Microsoft Outlook calendar app is the most used app on my phone yeah. because I'm constantly kind of juggling doing things like this and having these conversations. But my passion for the topic hasn't changed. Uh, my awareness certainly uh, for the topic hasn't changed. Uh, and, and it's been part of my work as we've discussed. So, th- so that really hasn't changed. Uh, and maybe the platform of me having the conversations will change. I, I mentioned I, I'm co-hosting a special on race on City TV and Sportsnet uh, this week um, on, on, on Thursday. And, but, but even forget about that one special. That's something that we're constantly going to do. We're, we're constantly going to have specials like that, town halls like that, just checking in to continue the conversation as it evolves because there is so much that we can talk about. It is so nuanced in terms of what has to change overall. I, I, I'll use the Me Too movement as an example and, and the Time's Up um, initiative. It was not just a moment. It was a movement and it still continues to be an the females understood that for so long we've been silenced, for so long we've been oppressed, for so long we've been scared to tell our stories because of the fear of retribution, but collectively we have so much strength. And they collectively stood up and support each other and spoke out and said, we don't care how many records you've sold or movies you've made, we're coming for you and we've got receipts. Like you're going to have to answer for a bunch. And there was some great reporting done. And, you know, eventually some male partners or allies joined in the fray. And it was literally breathtaking to see it unfold in real time. So we have a similar opportunity to have the same type of movement with the conversation about race. And we should just continue to push that, that, that snowball down the hill and, until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and use the focus that we have now to say, okay, we're not stopping and talking about anti-black racism. We need to talk about what's happened to the First Nations communities and the indigenous people in this country for hundreds of years and what is still happening to them. Uh, we, we can't stop there. We, we need to maybe expand the conversation. If we're talking about equality, well, let's also talk about the LGBTQ plus community. And, and so that's what I want. I want it to be sustained. And I think, again, that only happens when we figure out that we have some collective strength. And if we are pragmatic, um, we could get some progress. Absolutely. And, you know, kudos to you for, for everything you're doing. And, and thanks again for joining us. You know, I, I certainly uh, feel different after experiencing, you know, this over the last month. And uh, even knowing that um, I have had blind spots that has become so clear to me uh, over the last, you know, a couple of weeks and, and month. And, you know, certainly I think things have changed for me and I hope they have changed for a lot of people so that we can kind of band together and be partners moving forward. So appreciate it. Continue to do the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, hope you keep well uh, in quarantine there with the family. Thank you so much. Same to you. Pleasure to be on with you guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks again to Donovan Bennett for for joining Zam and I on on Anchored. Uh, a really interesting conversation, and and like you said, Zam, a really passionate individual, someone who you know it stood out to me is is very educated on on. Mm-hmm what he's talking about but certainly passionate about it too and and i and i i sure hope that people continue to listen to him and and um that he his his profile and his platform is is sustained for the long term because he's someone who can really inspire some change for sure oh for sure and he, and he speaks with that uh that 
obvious passion about the about the the topic and he speaks uh, I, i've seen him on uh sports net and speak with obvious passion about sports and someone that that i'm gonna be paying a lot more attention to uh now and and you know we t- we talked about uh how these protests have been a catalyst become a catalyst for change and uh one major change that uh we're already seeing is uh Sadiq Khan the the mayor of uh, London uh a muslim the first muslim mayor in London uh he has ordered a review of all london statues for their links to slavery and that is uh an important first step to 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 look back on the history of england at where a lot of this stuff started and see uh how uh it's connected to the perpetuation of racism and the perpetuation of, uh, of, of, of violence against black people. Absolutely. And, and hopefully there's, there's more like that to come. And, and we have to play our part to continue to talk about these and amplify these stories. And um, we could talk probably uh, ad nauseum today about it. But if you're watching on video, we, uh, we have a guest here. This is Zane, and and he is busted into the room. So that that's my cue to go, Sam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we're we're doing this for him in the future, so people of his generation are are better equipped to uh, have these conversations and uh, be and be part of the 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 generation that are treating everyone better uh, than than we have been uh, treating to this point. Zane, do you want to say but hi? yes? Say hi. And now he's shaking his head. All right, Zam. Well, this was a good one. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And and as you mentioned, um, you can f- follow us on Instagram and Unanchored Podcast, Twitter, Unanchored Pod, wow. and our website, unanchoredpodcast.ca. And until next time, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you soon. Bye, Zane. <laughs>